This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't waste time on apps that don't work. Babbel's conversation-based teaching prepares you for real-life situations. And studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash truecrime. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash truecrime, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash truecrime. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen to My Life of Crime ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe today. Newport Beach Harbor in Southern California. It takes less than an hour to drive there from the city of Los Angeles, but it feels worlds away. It's a safe haven for boaters, fishermen, and wealthy homeowners anyone looking to escape reality. And that's why the events of September 2006 were so alarming to the people who lived there. Who is the woman found floating in Newport Bay? Her identity still a mystery. On September 13th, a body was found floating in the harbor, a woman in her 50s. They removed the body from the water that was wrapped in a mattress pad and bed sheets and found a female white in her 50s with multiple stab wounds. It was an extremely big story. Steve Mack was a Huntington Beach detective assigned to the case. What was it that told investigators immediately that this was a homicide? The over 50 stab wounds in the victim's uh, torso, mainly above the neck and face area. What was even more shocking, the victim had a butter knife lodged in one of her eyes. As a detective, when you hear that someone has been stabbed that many times, what does that say to you? To me personally, it means that it's a personal issue. Somebody that knew that victim uh, is the one that killed her. Who was she? And why did someone want her dead? I'm Erin Moriarty, and this is my life of crime. When a middle-aged woman was found murdered and floating in the ocean near the Newport Beach Harbor, investigators struggled to find out who she was and who wanted her dead. The investigation would eventually lead where no one expected, but on that day, they just needed to know who the victim was. There were no missing persons who fit her description, 
and her fingerprints didn't match any in the databases. It was finally pathologist Sean Enlow who solved the mystery in a way I had never encountered. We do have to go through extra hoops sometimes. When Dr. Enlow did the autopsy, he discovered the victim had breast implants. In this case, she had breast implants that had distinct serial numbers on them, and we were able to trace her identity through those serial numbers. Very unusual. And that's how they learned the victim was 56-year-old Barbara Molinex, residing nearby in the city of Huntington Beach. And we were able to identify that she had an ex-husband that she lived with named Bruce Molinex and a daughter named Rachel Scarlett Molinex. That's Joe Cartwright, another detective who's with the Newport Beach Police Department. Once investigators knew the name of the victim, they needed to determine where she had been murdered. But the next problem was just tracking down any next of kin. They couldn't find either Barbara's ex-husband or her 17-year-old daughter, Rachel. Neither of them were in the hospital. Neither of them had been reported missing. Neither of them had reported her missing. So detectives Cartwright and Mack went to the address listed as Barbara's home, a modest Huntington Beach condo. Here's Detective Mack. Well, once we went in when the search warrant was signed, um, entering through the downstairs door, it's a two-story condominium, nothing seemed out of place. It seemed like a normal lived-in family environment. But when investigators went upstairs, Barbara's bedroom told a different story. And immediately something looked out of place because the bed had been disassembled and the mattress and box spring were missing. And what did that say to you right away? Instantly that told me that this is where the crime occurred. Detectives believe that the mattress and the box spring had been removed because they were probably saturated in Barbara's blood. Knowing that she was likely killed by someone she knew well and in her own home, it began to look a lot like a case of domestic violence. The obvious people of interest, boyfriends and exes, like Barbara's ex-husband, Bruce. No, I understand. Um, I'm the ex-husband. We're living in the same condo. I have watched crime shows. I've watched 48 hours. That's Barbara's ex, Bruce. I mean, the, the ex is usually the first person you go to. But Bruce told me he had once been very much in love with Barbara. She was very opinionated. Um, she wasn't afraid to tell somebody what she thought. To me, that was attractive. It was different. It was, you know, I, I kind of liked it. I was taken by her. The couple got married in Oklahoma and had their daughter, Rachel. Life was good. We found a nice house, big backyard, great big pool. I mean, just everything you could want. And it was good. It was a lot of fun. And that's what Rachel was born into. Bruce says, though, that over time, Barbara's drinking got in the way. Barbara had a problem. When she got more and more into the drinking, that things started to get bad. And when Barbara got really drunk, then it would be a night of intense verbal bashing. It started to be the, the main focus and the main experience in the house. Things got so contentious, the cops were called at least twice. 
Bruce and Barbara finally divorced when Rachel was about 13. Bruce says he left Oklahoma and moved to California. But three years later, Barbara and Rachel followed him because their money was tight. Barbara and Rachel moved in with Bruce in his too-small condo. Bruce says things between the couple only got worse, and Rachel was caught in the middle. She would say something to Rachel like, well, you know, your dad is spending too much money, so, uh, you know, he's going to whore you out on the streets so he can pay the bills. But if she's so abusive, why let her move in with you? Rachel begged me. Rachel asked me. After Barbara was murdered, when homicide detectives learned about the couple's history, they became very interested in talking to Bruce. But where was he? And then, just as they were going through the condo looking for evidence, they got a surprise visitor. Bruce Mullinex had just walked in the door. And what went through your head? Well, I immediately knew I was wrong with him being a suspect. How did you know that? I don't think he would have returned uh, to the scene and tried to walk into it with us being there. Bruce hadn't gone in hiding, he says. He told detectives that he had just been out of town on business for several days. When they asked him about Rachel, the couple's daughter, Bruce told them that he had last spoken to her by phone on Tuesday, September 12th, the night before Barbara's body was discovered. Rachel had called to tell me that she thought Barbara had had a drink or two and that she was worried it was going to be another um, night, you know, like so many. Yeah. And I said, Rachel, just, just stay in your room. Call me if you need to. And that was it. When he didn't hear from his daughter again or from Barbara, Bruce says he became concerned and called the father of Rachel's boyfriend and asked him to check out the condo. And I said, hey, would you go over and just, you know, look at the condo? And he goes, yeah, I'll have to go do that. So he, he went over there and checked it, and the door was locked. But, you know, there was no sign of anybody. And um, so I just, I still had, you know, you get that feeling that something's wrong, but you can't put your finger on it. Bruce's story checked out. He had been on the road when Barbara was killed. And that left detectives with two other possible suspects, Rachel and her new boyfriend, Ian Allen. Was Rachel somehow involved in her mother's murder? No one had seen either Rachel or Ian since Barbara's body had been found. Did you have any idea where he was at that point? No, we did not. But at that point, did you believe that Ian Allen and Rachel Bolinex must be together? Yes. Investigators began the search for the young couple, Ian, 21 years old, and 17-year-old Rachel. They soon learned that two weeks before Barbara's body had been found floating in the harbor, Rachel and her mother had a fight. Rachel and Ian had gone out for dinner and fell asleep at his house, breaking her curfew. Barbara later showed up on his doorstep. And what happened when Barbara got to Ian's house? Was it a big... Well, she was obsessed. She was pounding on the door. So she was making a scene, um, dragging her out and embarrassing her, as I think most concerned parents would be at that point. Sonia Balleste is an Orange County prosecutor who joined the hunt for Ian and Rachel. When cops checked Ian's computer, 
they discovered that someone had printed driving directions to Tampa, Florida. So now we knew where they were going. So what we started to do was look at where they might be in that route based on how much time had passed and where we, we, we expect them to be. They were a long way from home. Ian's credit card had been used in the state of Louisiana at a gas station in a place called Sulphur, about 1,700 miles from home. We knew that they had just been there, so we called the next town over, uh, which is Lafayette Parish, and they set up on the I-10 looking for Ian's truck, and he was stopped. Ian's truck was spotted, and local authorities pulled it over. Inside the truck, Ian and Rachel, who were taken into custody. And then both were arrested. You are under arrest for the murder of your mother. <laughs> Do you know that I was kidnapped? Do you know that? I know that's what you're saying. What do you mean that's what I'm saying? We have physical evidence to the contrary. What do you mean? We have... What really happened on the night of September 12th 2006. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. What happened in the Huntington Beach condo? What would cause someone to stab Barbara Mullinex over and over again, and then, in an incomprehensible act, put a butter knife in her eye? After Rachel Mullinex was picked up in Louisiana, she told police a harrowing story, and she pointed the finger at her boyfriend, Ian Allen. She said he had killed her mother, and forced her to watch. I was asleep. It was the middle of the night. I heard my mom scream my name. I ran in her room and I saw Ian standing there on top of her, stabbing her. <laughs> I tried to push him off and he pushed me off and knocked me out. <laughs> Rachel told investigators that she remembered nothing after that until she regained consciousness in a nearby motel, bound and gagged by Ian. But Detective Joe Cartwright said the evidence didn't back her story. Was there any evidence at the Starlight Motel that, in fact, either Ian or Rachel had been there? No. While Rachel said her boyfriend had pushed her roughly out of the way, she didn't have any wounds consistent with being shoved against furniture. Detective Mack asked Rachel why she didn't even have a bruise. Uh, her response was that she's young, she doesn't bruise, old people bruise. But then she managed to find a small dime-sized bruise on her right forearm and point that out for me. But that was the only injury she had. By now, 
Detectives Mack and Cartwright were beginning to believe that 17-year-old Rachel had made up the entire story. She was crying for, seemed like 20, 30 minutes, uh, but I never saw a single tear. But while detectives believed Rachel was more involved, her boyfriend, Ian Allen, seemed to back up her claims. He told detectives he killed Barbara and that he forced Rachel to help him dispose of her mother's car and her body. She didn't need to be locked up or anything. I made her come with me. So if, okay. I, if I can get her back home to her dad where she belongs. You're not, it, that's not gonna happen. Prosecutor Sonia Balleste, who would try Rachel for murder, didn't believe Rachel was a helpless bystander. Baeste says that Rachel had countless opportunities to call the police. Was there time after her mother was murdered that she could have either gone for help, called for help? Numerous. Endless, endless opportunities. And they, was there any attempt, any attempt to make a phone call? None. None. Why didn't Rachel try to get help for her mother, not even when she might have had the chance to save her mother's life? You don't know that she's dead. Maybe there's a chance to save her. Did you try to call 911? No. That's Rachel. Did you even take her pulse to see if she was dead? No. A lot of people judge me because of this. And it's not fair. But why didn't you run out the door and get help for your mother? I was scared. It's like I freeze in fear. When I later spoke to her in jail, she insisted she was a victim, that she was scared she would anger the man who had just killed her mother. But there is a video from that Louisiana gas station where Ian and Rachel stopped to get gas that seems to contradict that. Prosecutor Baeste describes what is seen on the screen. Where Ian actually goes to use the ATM card and Rachel is free roaming around the store, getting something to drink, uh, paying for it herself, and then going about her way, meeting up with Ian again, uh, sort of in a very loving manner. But Rachel says the video is deceptive. You don't look upset. You're not hysterical. You don't ask anyone for help. You don't leave a note for someone. Why not? Nobody knows what they're going to do in this situation. Nobody. And I was scared. Of what? Him. I didn't know what he's going to do next. But why would Rachel want her mother dead? Relationships between mother and daughter can be complicated, but murder? Investigators learned that in the weeks and months before Barbara was murdered, her relationship with Rachel had become very strained, and they fought most frequently over Rachel's relationship with Ian. As things became more intense, and Ian and Barbara started to compete, if you will, for control of Rachel, then that's when Ian started to get a taste of who Barbara really was. Barbara was very intimidating. Rachel's father, Bruce, says that Barbara felt Ian was taking her daughter away and became upset when the couple announced their engagement. The more serious that Rachel was getting with Ian, Barbara thought that this idea that she's going to kind of have Rachel to help her survive after Rachel turns 18 or when my money stops, I think that was now being threatened, and the threat was Ian. 
Rachel told me that she believed Ian had gotten tired of her mother's interference. She talked about that night that she says was particularly embarrassing. After she missed her 1 a.m. curfew, Rachel says her mother became furious. My mom shows up at his house. Just humiliating, but... She ended up waking up his parents? Yeah. And was she angry? Yeah, she was angry. Was she making a scene? Yeah, I thought she'd overreacted. I was mad, but you get over it. How did Ian feel about her showing up? Ian was livid. He was livid. But does that explain the violence behind Barbara's murder? Detective Mack and other investigators believe that Rachel was really the instigator. They believe she manipulated her boyfriend into killing Barbara. He points to a conversation that police secretly recorded between Rachel and Ian while they sat in a police car with a hidden tape recorder. What came out in that uh, tape recording is Rachel's further manipulation of Ian, telling him that he needs to get a good attorney and he needs to get out. But if he can't get out and she does, she's going to change her appearance and come visit him in in prison, uh, leading him further to believe that if he just takes the blame for everything, she'll love him forever. And clearly, that's not the case. Can Rachel convince a jury she's a victim along with her mother? Two years after she was arrested for murder, she went on trial. Prosecutor Sonia Balleste. Rachel Molinix is an active participant in her mother's murder. A cold, manipulative killer. She's no typical 17-year-old. This one's 17 going on 42. Rachel's attorney, David Cohn, told the jury that Ian Allen and only Ian Allen murdered Barbara Mullinex. But Rachel Mullinex had nothing to do with the killing of her mother. But he's going to have to explain to the jury the evidence that shows that Rachel helped Ian clean up after the murder. You will find evidence that it appears that Barbara Mullinex was killed in her bedroom. There was so much blood that mattress had to be burned. This defendant in particular tries to clean up with a sponge. And interestingly enough, when that sponge was tested for DNA, it shows that it has her mother's blood and her DNA. Not Ian, her. The defense decides to take a gamble and put Rachel herself on the stand to try to explain what happened on that horrendous night of murder. I was gonna wait until um, my mom was asleep. I would call him and tell him to come get me. That was the plan. But then, Rachel says, Ian showed up unannounced at her bedroom door. It scares me at first, because I wasn't expecting him to be in my house. So, you know, I said, why are you, why are you in here? I was supposed to meet you downstairs. What's going on? And at that time when we were talking, my mom, I guess, had woken up and she'd opened her bedroom door. She comes into the hallway and there's a lot of yelling going on. She's yelling, he's yelling, I'm yelling. She turned around, walked back into her bedroom. I just assumed maybe he was gonna go in there and try to just calm her down before anything happened. But 
I heard a struggle. So I went in there and I walk in and I see my mom on her bed and Ian is stabbing her in her legs because she's trying to kick him off. But Rachel's story is inconsistent with the evidence. Pathologist Sean Enlow, who did the autopsy on Barbara Molinex, says Rachel's mom was stabbed more than 50 times and that at least three knives were used in the murder. I, I believe it is more likely that it was two assailants than one, and that could have been as few as maybe five minutes for the whole encounter, I, but I, I don't know for sure. We've already heard that Rachel never attempted to contact the police that night, but at trial, the jury hears something even more incriminating, that four hours after her mother's murder, left alone in the condo while Ian was getting rid of evidence, Rachel finally picks up the phone. And who does she call? Out of all the people that you could call now, that you have your phone in your hand, and that you feel that you can use it, you don't call your dad, right? No. You don't call 911? No. You call your mother's killer, right? Correct. You must have felt incredibly betrayed by him. Yes? Yes. You must have even hated him at that point, right? Yes. And out of all the things that you could have said to him, you text him the words, I love you. <coughs> Is that correct? Yes. When Rachel could have called police, she called Ian instead to tell the man who had just killed her mother that she loves him. And then another text message asking, are you in trouble? And a third one that said, can I call you? Ian's response, he texts back, I love you too. No, I'm not in trouble and you can't call me right now. I later asked Rachel about those damning texts. But it sounds like in those texts that you're worried about where he is. You know, you're saying, where are you? Can I call you? Are you in trouble? I mean, this doesn't sound like a person who's angry with him at all. It sounds like a, a young woman who still loves him even after he killed your mother. I love you, is what the text says. I want to know what's going on. I want to know what he's doing. My only goal at that point was to not make him mad, even if he wasn't there. I didn't know what he was capable of doing. I didn't know if he was going to sit there and do the same thing to my dad, do the same thing to me. I didn't know. The jury took three days to deliberate. Rachel's attorney, David Cohn. When they called and said there was a verdict, I, I, <laughs> I, was, I was hesitant to be too excited about it. When the defendant returned to the courtroom, she was shackled and looked much younger than her 19 years, suddenly sporting pigtails in her hair. We, the jury, in the above entitled action, find the defendant, Rachel Scarlett Molinex, guilty of the crime of murder, as charging count one of the information in the first degree. Victim Barbara Molinex dated July 17th. Guilty of first degree murder. The jury clearly didn't believe she was a victim. And nearly three months later, Rachel was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Her father told me later 
he would stand by her. Do you still love her? I still love her, completely, <laughs> completely, and I always will. I'm very proud that she's my daughter, very proud. I'm just a young girl that, that didn't, the wrong guy. I didn't do it. I know I didn't do it. My mom knows I didn't do it. It is rare for a child to kill a parent. The few studies that exist say those events account for only 2% of all homicides. Rachel insists she didn't want her mother dead. But a line I read in one study struck me, and it was this. The relationship between a mother and daughter that ends in murder is usually marked by extreme hostility, but also dependence. Two people who need each other, but one who wants to break free. After Rachel's conviction, Ian Allen was also found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years to life. In October 2022, after serving 16 years in prison, Rachel Mullinex was released on parole. We reached out to Rachel's family, who told us she's doing well and trying to move on with her life. I'm Erin Moriarty, and that's my life of crime. This podcast series is developed by 48 Hours in partnership with CBS News Radio and Paramount. Judy Tigard is 48 Hours executive producer. Megan Marcus is vice president for podcast editorial at Paramount. Production and editing for this season by Caroline Casey, Annie Cronenberg, Danny Levy, Megan Marcus, Kiara Norbitz, and Alan Pang. This episode was also produced by Ira Sudo and Mike Vallee of 48 Hours. And finally, a thank you to all of you, our listeners. We owe it all to you, the millions of 48 Hours fans. Don't forget to join me online. I'm at EF Moriarty on X, and we're at 48 Hours on X, Facebook, and Instagram. See you soon. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's the case, then I've got some good news. We just launched a brand new Strange, Dark, and Mysterious podcast called Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries. And as the name suggests, it's a show about medical mysteries, a genre that many fans have been asking us to dive into for years, and we finally decided to take the plunge, and the show is awesome. In this free weekly show, we explore bizarre, unheard of diseases, strange medical mishaps, unexplainable deaths, and everything in between. Each story is totally true and totally terrifying. Go follow Mr. Ballin's Medical Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a Prime member, you can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. 
two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.